Good morning again. Welcome to Prairie View Christian Church. Thanks for joining us here this morning. Well, after you warmed your frozen body with melted candy on Halloween, hopefully you took the time to celebrate All Saints Day this past Wednesday. All Saints Day is an opportunity to look back at the stories of the Christians who came before us, especially the martyrs who have died for our faith, and to honor their memories, thank God for their example, and be inspired to follow in their footsteps. But if in your Reese's, Kit Kat, and M&M-induced hangover, you forgot to observe All Saints Day, fear not. We're going to have our own celebration here this morning. Because Hebrews 11 recounts some of the most harrowing, challenging, and encouraging stories of faith among God's people in the Old Testament. And these stories can and should motivate us in our own faith. So open up to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Feel free to use one of our Bibles if you didn't bring one, and take a Bible home if you don't have one. But before we read, let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time that we have together. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Lord, there are so many things that can happen in the lives of a 100 or so person church in any given week. And it seems like that's been the case the past few weeks. We've had people grieving deaths. We've had people celebrating births. We've had people under the weather. We've had people with home issues, with family issues, with all kinds of of challenges and hardships, but also all kinds of successes and, and joys and victories. And so, Lord, I pray that we would weep with those who weep this morning, that we would rejoice with those who rejoice, uh, that you would be with our church body as we navigate all of these things that life in a fallen world throws our way. Uh, And, Lord, help us never navigate these things alone. But I also pray for the things that are happening beyond just our church family, uh, whether it's on a national scale or a global scale. uh, So many problems, so many things to worry about. Uh, And Lord, rather than trying to lay out each and every request or concern, sometimes the best thing we can pray is that you would simply come, Lord Jesus. And so, Lord, we do pray that you would come in your time and that as we wait, that we would be faithful, that we would be confident in your coming whenever that might be. And Lord, I pray that you would watch over us as we look to your word this morning. Thank you for just an incredible chapter of scripture. Uh, In some ways, reading through Hebrews 1 through 10 is hard work. It's complex, it's rich, it's deep, and it almost feels like chapter 11 is a reward for all of that hard work. So Lord, be with us as we read Hebrews 11 this morning, and I pray that we would be inspired in our faith by reading these stories. And again, thank you for this opportunity we have together to gather under your word, to sing the songs that we sing, to pray together, to remember Christ's body and blood on the cross at communion, to give of our offerings. Thank you for all of these great privileges that we have as your children, as your servants, as your saints, and as 
guests and attenders and members at this church on this Sunday morning. We love you. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we throw the word faith around all the time, but it's worth asking, what exactly is faith? One simple, broad definition of faith is belief in testimony. The Old Testament and New Testament verbs most often associated with faith include words like trust, believe, take refuge in, wait for, hope in, be persuaded by, and obey. One commentator calls faith living as if God's power for the present is real and his promise for the future is secure. That's pretty good, I think. I'll read it again. Faith is living as if God's power for the present is real and his promise for the future is secure. But if we're trying to define faith, we absolutely have to read Hebrews 11, 1 through 3. It says there, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So if you put it all together, faith appears to be more than a guess. It's assurance. It's more than a theory. It's conviction. It's more than just having your fingers crossed about something. It's setting your eyes, heart, mind, and will on something. And the people of old, mentioned in verse 2, put that sort of faith on display. We read their stories in this chapter. It's a long passage, so just sit back and follow along. Take it all in. Verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, 
were born descendants as many of the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking forward to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient, because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. We said over the past six or eight or ten weeks, however long it's been that we've been in Hebrews, that the author is not just an author. He's also a pastor and he's also a preacher. And Hebrews is not just a letter or a book. It's really a sermon. He tells that at the very end in chapter 13. And this is where we really see the preacher of Hebrews preach, starting in verse 32. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, 
of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Wow. It's a lot to take in, isn't it? But before we dive deeper into these examples of faith, a few things should be pointed out. First, every example that we just read about, their faith had the same object. And that object was God. Not just a philosophical idea or concept of God. Not some vague catch-all deity. But a very specific Very personal, very revealed God. All of these people believed in the one true God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's the only legitimate God there is in the pages of the Bible. And though these Old Testament figures may not have articulated it this way, he's the same God whom we call Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's the object of their faith. Second, with every one of these examples, faith has both present and future realities. Each one of these people thought something, knew something, or did something in the present out of expectation of something in the future. And we're not any different When you drive your car across a bridge with the expectation that the bridge won't collapse. But you have no guarantee that it won't collapse. In fact, there are plenty of bridges throughout history that have collapsed. But you expect this bridge to hold, which informs your present decision to drive across it. There are both present and future components. And third, faith does not just stay in our heads and our hearts. It's lived out in our actions. Everyone in this chapter did something. None of these people are praised merely for their intellectual assent, for their doctrinal soundness, or for their warm feelings. As legitimate as those things can be. These people's faith was displayed through what they did, through their actions. And what were those actions? Well, as we survey Hebrews 11, I think we can break them down into six main categories. First, faith is marked by worship. Worship. The opening two examples... Abel and Enoch in verses 4 and 5 fall into this category. Now, Abel's worship is pretty obvious. In Genesis 4, he makes an offering to God as an act of praise. Enoch's worship is a bit less obvious. However, Genesis 5:24 tells us that he walked with God, which is a good summary of worship. So both men worshipped God. But one died for it at the hands of his unrighteous brother, while the other didn't die at all. As one author puts it, a life of faith, the kind of faith we read about in Hebrews 11, 
a life of worship, can lead to suffering for some, triumph for others, with most getting a mix of both. Faith is marked by worship. But faith is also marked by obedience. Noah certainly falls into that category. He's mentioned in verse 7. Though many people around likely thought that Noah was crazy for building that ark, he built it in reverent fear. He simply obeyed God to the last piece of wood. Abraham, the quintessential man of faith in the Old Testament, did the same. He's mentioned in verses 8 through 12 and 17 through 19. Abraham didn't know what lay ahead when God called him to leave his home. And God's command to almost sacrifice his son Isaac seemed to fly directly in the face of everything God had said before. But what did Abraham do? He obeyed. And just think of the Israelites marching around Jericho. Mentioned in verse 30. Rather than attack the city, they blew trumpets for seven days. And that was poor military strategy at best. And a death wish at worst. But God commanded, and they obeyed. We mentioned James chapter 2 last week. That passage stresses that faith does not just stay in our heads and our hearts. It's worked out with our hands. Faith gives birth to obedience. As James puts it, faith without works is dead. If Mike Corrigan repeatedly tells you that your engine is going to seize up if you don't change the oil, and then you persistently ignore his warnings, taking no action, you know what Mike's eventually going to conclude? He's going to conclude, rightly, that you must not really believe him. Faith produces obedience. But faith is also marked by trust. In verses 20 through 22, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph based their decisions on God's promises that weren't fulfilled yet. They trusted even when it was hard or impossible to see at the time that God would keep his word. The Israelites standing by the Red Sea had to make a decision in a moment of crisis. Verse 29. They could either trust that God was going to miraculously save them or face certain doom. And they ultimately took the plunge. Rahab, the Gentile prostitute, heard about Israel, believed in their God, and entrusted herself and her family to him, unlike so many around her, mentioned in verse 31. Now, faith and trust are closely associated, and some people might even say that those two words are synonymous. But I think trust implies a sense of risk. You might say that trust is faith when there's cost involved. Anyone can profess faith when times are good. But trust 
is faith when the you-know-what hits the fan. Martin Luther put it this way. Faith is a living, bold trust in God's grace, so certain of God's favor that it would risk death a thousand times trusting in it. Faith produces trust. Faith is also marked by endurance. That's especially evident in the example of Moses in verses 24 through 28. He gave up luxuries. He forsook rights. He stared down danger. And he endured years in the wilderness by faith. In verses 35 through 38, we read of those nameless saints who endured brutal hardships for their faith. But they aren't remembered as suckers, fools, or victims. They're remembered as people of whom the world was not worthy. Their endurance proved it. They endured because they found something or someone worth suffering for. And by faith, they could endure that suffering. Faith is also marked by courage. This is category number five. It's easy to cite Moses as an example of faith. But don't forget about Moses' parents. Mentioned in verse 23. Don't forget about the Hebrew midwives of Exodus 1 who are often overlooked. Who refuse to obey Pharaoh's order to kill Israelite baby boys. If not for their faith, if not for their courage, there would be no Moses. Courage is a word that we don't hear a lot these days. And sadly, it's often associated with some sort of macho arrogance or brashness or bravado. But the examples of Hebrews 11 make courage, that old-fashioned word, pretty hard to ignore. And while the list of names in verse 32 can appear like a ragtag bunch if you actually read their stories, you can't deny some level of courage. For each of them. And finally, faith is marked by patience. That takes us all the way back to verses 1 through 3. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The reward of faith isn't always immediate. Learning to wait is a necessary component of faith. That's stressed again at the end of the chapter, verse 39. And all of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. We'll see what that something or someone better is in chapter 12. You know, patience may not sound as pious as acts like worship and obedience and and trust. Patience might not look as impressive as feats of endurance or courage. But don't think for a second that patience isn't one of the telltale signs of a deep and abiding faith. 
So to some degree, Hebrews 11 gives us a clear definition of faith. The assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. But more than just giving us that basic definition, Hebrews 11 shows us at length what faith looks like. It looks like worship, obedience, trust, endurance, courage, and patience. Now, remember the context of the book of Hebrews. We saw last week that many of the Christians reading this letter were suffering persecution for their faith. Some had gone to prison. Some had their property taken away from them. Some faced public social reproach. That's why the author says in chapter 10, verse 36, that they had need of endurance. Under all that pressure, some of them may have been considering abandoning the faith entirely. They thought their lives would just be a lot easier if they forsook this whole Christianity thing. So with that context in mind, chapter 11 serves as a sort of halftime pep talk when the team is getting crushed and appears ready to throw in the towel. The author strives to motivate and uplift these Christians to keep the faith by telling them stories of others who have done just that. And may these stories motivate and uplift us to keep the faith as well. Now, as we think more about how all of this could apply to us, I do think there are three questions worth asking. First, am I really a person of faith to begin with? Now, when I ask that question, I'm not suggesting that unless you are 100% ready to face down lions and get flogged and go to prison right now, then you're not really a Christian. It's not what I'm saying. If you dig deep enough, every hero of the faith has weaknesses, flaws, and moments of doubt. They don't have to be perfect to be worth remembering. And you don't have to be perfect to be a true follower of Christ. But it is worth asking whether we have that sort of faith to begin with. Or whether we even want to have that kind of faith after we read stories like these. If the answer is yes, then great. But if the answer is no, if you can read Hebrews 11 and remain uninspired, unchallenged, unmoved, then it's worth asking whether you believe at all. Am I a person of faith? Another obvious question that we might ask is, how can I imitate these actions right now? Where the rubber hits the road, what do worship, obedience, trust, endurance, courage, and patience look like for us as believers in comfortable Fishers, Indiana, the year 2023? Well, worship could be as simple as getting up and going to church when you'd rather stay in bed. 
Obedience could be a clear commitment to take God's word seriously when you're tempted to cut ethical corners. Trust could be as difficult as continuing to believe in God's goodness, even when the worldly consequences of belonging to him are negative. Endurance could mean gritting your teeth and affirming God's sovereignty, even when your suffering seems senseless. Courage could be as awesome as publicly and boldly standing up for the name of Jesus. And patience could be as unnoticeable and unremarkable as praying for the Lord's return in a small room by yourself. Faith produced all kinds of actions in all kinds of contexts for the people listed in Hebrews 11. So what actions will it produce in us, in our contexts? And a final question is what examples of faith can we look to in our day and age? Now, of course, we should look to the Old Testament examples cited in this chapter and the countless New Testament examples of great faith. But I'd also suggest finding examples outside of Scripture. Maybe it's picking up Fox's famous Book of Martyrs, which is in the public domain. Anyone can access it. Maybe it's finding a godly family member, friend, or person in this room to take you under their wing. Maybe it's reading the stories of persecuted Christians right now in other parts of the world. Maybe it's learning more about the 21 Egyptian Christians who were slaughtered on a Libyan beach in February of 2015, all but two of whom were younger than I am right now when they died. When it comes to inspiring examples of faith who can motivate us in ours, we cannot have too many. Now, these examples of faith in Hebrews 11 are breathtaking altogether. But then again, we should also remember that they are just examples. They were all sinners like you and like me. There's someone else we must also look to if we have any hope of pressing on as people of faith. And that person is far more than a mere example. We read in Hebrews 12, starting in verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, that's referring to all the people listed in chapter 11, that great cloud of witnesses. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We look to God's people for examples of faith. But we look to God's son as the founder and perfecter of our faith. Without him, all of the worship, obedience, trust, endurance, courage, and patience that we can muster will all be for naught. May his death on the cross for our sins 
and his victory over sin, death, and Satan, which led him out of the tomb and up to the Father's right hand. May that motivate us to cast sin aside, run our race to the end, and take our place in the great cloud of witnesses that we read about in Hebrews 11. The great cloud of witnesses that we remember on All Saints Day. Let's pray. Father, again, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time that we have together. Thank you for your son, Jesus. And thank you for Hebrews 11, this incredible encyclopedia of Old Testament faith. Thank you for these examples. Thank you for these lives that you worked in and worked through in this long and winding story of redeeming sinful men and women like us. I pray that we would read these stories and not be intimidated, not be confused, but rather be inspired and motivated to live faithfully to you. Lord, I pray that by the power of your spirit, we would display the virtues we've talked about this morning. It can't just be up to us to display all these different actions, all these different marks of faith. This is not purely an act of blood, sweat, and tears, though there may be blood, sweat, and tears involved. It's also a work of your spirit to make us into these kinds of people. So, Lord, I pray that you would do just that, that you would continue that work of sanctifying us so that we can live up to the great calling that you've graciously given us. And, Lord, thank you for Jesus, who when you really think about it, displayed every single one of these virtues perfectly, not just on his way to the cross, but in every step of his life. Thank you, Lord, for who you are and for what you've done for us. Thank you for serving as the founder and perfecter of our faith, giving all of these virtues and feats and works, whatever bit of meaning and value that they have. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And again, I pray that you would find us faithful in the days ahead. As we prepare to leave this place, we might not be in the extreme scenarios that are so demanding of us the way that they were of these Old Testament saints. But I pray that we wouldn't get complacent, that we wouldn't get lazy, and that our faith would be no weaker than theirs was, even as our circumstances are so different. Lord, help us be people of faith in the week ahead for your glory as we wait for you to return. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. As we close our service, just a few quick words about verse 6 in Hebrews 11, which we somewhat breezed past. That verse says, And without faith it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. I mention that because works of worship and obedience and trust and endurance and courage and what was the last one? Patience. Patience. Those are not limited to Christians. Uh, You don't have to be a believer to worship something with deep sympathy and devotion. 
You don't have to be a Christian to obey very, very faithfully. You don't have to be a Christian to endure all kinds of hardship. You don't have to be a Christian to be patient. You don't have to be a Christian to do any of these things we've talked about this morning. But the only way that all those virtues and all those works really have any eternal value is if they're based in the work of Christ. And that's what Hebrews chapter 12 really insists on, that he is the founder and perfecter of our faith, that whatever efforts we make to please God have to have their basis in Christ, who pleased God in a way that we never could in our sin. So if you have any questions about what it means to be a follower of Christ, what it means to look to him as the foundation the founder and perfecter of your faith, by all means, talk to an elder, talk to a pastor, talk to someone else here. We would be happy to have that conversation with you and happy to pray with you. So with that, we'll close our service in prayer. Father, again, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time that we've had together. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your church. And Lord, thank you for all these saints that we read about in Hebrews 11. All the saints that we don't read about in Hebrews 11. It's just a a sampling of faithful people in your word, whether Old Testament or, or New Testament. And there are also countless other faithful believers that we will never, ever read about. We will never know their names. We will never hear their stories. But we will see them when we're in your presence. So, Lord, thank you for those believers. And again, I pray that we wouldn't read these stories of amazing, profound faith and be intimidated or just think that that's for other people. That is for spiritual elites. And I could never, ever, ever do or say or think or feel or endure those sorts of things the way they did. Lord, you have given us your spirit to enable us to be the kind of people we read about in Hebrews 11. So I pray that we would embrace that gift, that we would live up to that calling that you haven't just issued to us, but you've enabled us to fulfill by your spirit. So Lord, help us live up to the challenge and the motivation and the inspiration of Hebrews 11. Be with us in the week ahead, as many of us will probably be facing things that are a little less extreme than what we read about in Hebrews 11, but still require faith, still require trust. So, Lord, I pray that we would trust you not just in the intense moments like those we read about this morning, but also in the mundane. Lord, help our faith not grow weary or even lazy in just the grind of day in and day out life. Help us be faithful to you no matter what the next week brings, extreme or mundane. And Lord, I pray that you'd bring us back here safely to worship you again next Sunday. We love you. We praise you. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. My